Welcome to Reclaim Your Power, Inspiration and Reflections for Before, During and After Childbirth, a podcast about birth, getting in touch with our bodies and talking about things that aren't often discussed or that you may not find in mainstream sources of information, a podcast to transform the way you plan for and approach birth, moving from fear and uncertainty to empowerment and inspiration. My name is Fungisai, which means to remind, and that's what I aim to do here, remind you that the power lies within you and that it all starts with you. Does your baby sleep through the night yet? How many of us have been asked this by well-meaning, kind parents, friends, colleagues, or random strangers? Is your baby sleeping through the night? And how many of us in the first three months of our baby's lives can answer yes? I know I certainly have not been one of the lucky few whose babies sleep from six to six or eight to six or whatever the holy grail of sleeping through is. My babies have certainly been nonconformists where that is concerned. And yet, despite all that, they've grown up to be intelligent, secure kids. And my husband and I are still relatively sane. The questions about our baby's nocturnal sleep patterns is one that drives me crazy. And to be honest, one that has over the years really irritated me, especially when some mothers have very smugly shared how long their tiny babies sleep for, which makes other mothers feel inadequate and incompetent. When it comes to parenting, I think we all get a little competitive about our baby's weight gain how big our babies are, how well our babies eat, drink, how soon they crawl, etc., etc. The list is endless. I guess it's a part of human nature to be proud of our progeny and want them to be the brightest and the best. I'm definitely not immune. But at what cost is this to others who may be struggling and those whose road to parenthood may not be so straightforward or smooth? A problem-free pregnancy and birth experience does not guarantee a smooth parenting journey especially in those early months, which is why I decided to call this two-part series Keeping Your Baby Close and reflect on how we can do this and why it's important and also think about what stops us from following our instincts. Two things, no, three things preoccupy parents in the postpartum period. Is my baby getting enough food? Is my baby peeing or pooing enough? And is my baby sleeping enough? Or more likely, why won't my baby sleep? It's really quite funny when you look back years later, once your child is out of nappies and dressing themselves, and think of how obsessed you were with the colour, texture and frequency of their toilet habits. But it's our instinct to care and protect and make sure our babies are healthy and survive. So that's good. But sometimes our environments or society, with all its child-rearing experts, can drive us crazy and also prevent us from doing what we feel is instinctively right for us. Each baby is different. And just because number one slept through and was calm and sweet, it doesn't mean number two or three are necessarily going to be the same. And we shouldn't expect them to be or become frustrated with them when they exhibit a different personality. We put our adult expectations on our tiny babies and want them to conform to our lifestyle and how we think they should behave. But where does that come from? Who says babies should behave in a certain way? And what is that based on? We should always question the so-called expert views and also question what and who 
their research is based on. How is research conducted in North America amongst middle-class white families relevant for African, Asian or South American families living in very different circumstances and with different child-rearing cultures? And who says that the Western or global North way of doing things is the best way? Look at the bottle feeding fiasco and some of the tragedies that it led to in the global South because people were made to feel that their instinctive and natural ways of feeding their babies were backward. I would like to remind you to always question. There is so much information out there, some of it great and some of it based on questionable research. There's nothing wrong with looking for information and trying to get help when you're struggling. But if you find your instincts are telling you something, it's always a good idea to stop and listen, follow your intuition. And as long as you're not doing something that will endanger your baby, go with it. How do you know when you're doing the right thing? It's not always easy. And when I say, listen to your instincts, this has been socialized out of most of us, and we almost have to find our way back to ourselves. Most of us fight against what our inner voices are telling us to do and follow what society dictates or what other people are doing because we don't want to look weird or silly or reckless, or we just don't trust ourselves. But are we happy or content living this way? Or does this just lead to more and more stress? As women especially, we're under constant pressure to perform. Not only must we be the perfect mother with the perfect sweet baby, but we must also then strive to be the productive employee and the perfect partner. Something has to give. And usually it's us. And at some point in our lives, after having tried to be superwoman for years, our bodies just say enough and we either burn out or we succumb to disease. When we choose to be a parent, we have to ask ourselves, why are we doing this? What kind of parent do we want to be? And what are we willing to give up? Becoming a parent is a great responsibility. One we shouldn't take lightly because the life of another human being is dependent on the choices we make. So what does this have to do with baby sleep habits? During the postpartum period, we need to take care of ourselves. As I've said in previous episodes, our bodies have been through a lot. And if we're breastfeeding, our bodies are still working hard, producing milk. We also now have the additional responsibility of looking after a little person who cannot tell us what they need and usually express their needs by crying, sometimes very loudly for very long periods of time. So sleep and the rest that brings is something we cherish for ourselves and for our babies. Sleep is important for babies because they're developing so quickly. In that first year, your tiny newborn goes from sleeping, pooing and peeing to sitting up, rolling over, crawling, walking, learning to pick up, grab, hold, throw, climb and start to form words. It's amazing. Sleep is a crucial part of that development and sleep patterns also change as our baby's brains develop. A baby's sleep habits are so baffling. I, like many parents, read a lot as I tried to figure out my children's sleeping habits. My sons were not too bad, especially my eldest, because he was bottle fed from quite an early age. So he slept better and for longer. So that was kind of easier to handle. But our daughter was not fond of sleeping, especially not napping. So that was a bit more challenging. Another issue we have is expecting breastfed babies to sleep for long periods at night. This really doesn't happen. And in the first few months, it really shouldn't happen because breast milk digests quickly and babies' tummies are small. 
Newborn babies are growing and developing in leaps and bounds, so they should feed frequently, about every three hours. I remember one day, sometime in the first few weeks, our daughter slept for almost eight hours. I woke up feeling blissfully rested and then realized how long she'd slept for, we'd slept for. I panicked because she wasn't putting on weight and she really should have fed at least twice that night. My breasts were evidence of that as they were really full of milk, which of course didn't help her ability to feed. After that, I stayed alert and occasionally we would have to wake her up so she would feed. But that sleepy period didn't last long. After a while, she was back to her light sleeping ways. So how did I cope? I was fortunate enough with our two younger children that with our son, I was entitled to maternity leave. So I was at home until he was about 10 months old. I slept when he had a nap during the day. I did minimum housework, especially in the first six weeks when I was trying to establish breastfeeding and struggling. I only did what was necessary. And the rest of the time, I focused on our baby and getting rest because I knew that being stressed and exhausted would not help my milk production. With our daughter, I didn't have a nine-to-five job. So again, I could sleep when she slept. And this time, we had her brother who was kindergarten age and full of energy. So it was important that I rested when he was at kindergarten so that I could manage with two small kids. My husband and I also shared responsibilities. So that's been great as we haven't had family around to rely on and to support us. Another way we maintained sanity was co-sleeping and bed sharing. Co-sleeping is when your baby sleeps in the same room as you, and bed sharing is when you sleep with your baby in the same bed. Now, this has been controversial in some countries and is perfectly normal in others. As a baby, I slept in my parents' room and often ended up in their bed, and I remember always feeling safe when I was sleeping next to my mother, and the bond that was built in those early years of my life endures today. This has had an effect on my parenting style and my instincts to keep my babies close. With my eldest son, it was easy because I was single and I didn't have the space to put him in a different room. He had a cot right next to my bed, but he spent a lot of time in my bed. I was always aware of him and responsive to his needs. In her book on gentle birth and gentle mothering, Sarah Buckley writes about mutual regulation. I quote, mutual regulation involves you and your baby exchanging information and influencing each other's body processes for ongoing well-being, and optimal development. Human babies are completely dependent on their parents, and part of this mutual regulation is achieved by what I call keeping your baby close. Of course, our hormones have a role to play here too. Keeping your baby close increases oxytocin, the love hormone, and prolactin, the mothering hormone, helping us as mothers or parents to regulate our behaviours. This mutual regulation, especially in the postpartum period, benefits the mother's health and the baby's physical and emotional development. Sarah Buckley has a website with a blog and lots of useful links, sarahbuckley.com. I'll post the link in the notes for this episode. So co-sleeping or bed sharing is not just convenient, but it's also crucial for your baby's development. I talk about gentle birth in many of my episodes And I guess it's the core message of this podcast. But gentle mothering and fathering is a continuation of this approach. Now that we've safely brought our babies into the world, we want to continue to do the best we can for them, to give them the best start we can. The best start doesn't mean lots of stuff. 
It doesn't mean a beautifully decorated nursery full of cuddly toys and all the latest gadgets that are supposed to help your baby's development. What your baby needs most is you. We spent a lot of money agonizing over the best cot or bassinet to buy for our baby, the best this and the best that, which of course is really more for us. I'm not saying don't be excited, especially when it's your first baby. It's a lot of fun to shop for your baby, but what they really need is you and to be close to you. And when we relax, stop having unrealistic expectations of ourselves and just give in to our instincts and let the hormones flow. We know that is what we want to and what we need to be close to our babies. Those early months go by so quickly and it's such a precious time and such an important time for building closeness. Co-sleeping helps your baby to feel safe and also makes it easier to hear and respond to their needs. There's been a lot of controversy regarding sleeping with your baby. There's fear that you may roll over your baby and squash them or suffocate them while they sleep. But research has shown that there are safe ways to have your baby in your bed with you. And there is great advice out there on what to avoid when you bed share. It's funny how knowledge is power, but how knowledge can also disempower. We need to find a balance. When I had my first baby, I didn't read anything about bed sharing. And in my culture, mothers sleep with their babies. It just is. Of course, things are changing now, especially among the middle class. But most people keep their babies close. They just don't think about it. So when I slept with my son, I didn't think about it. I wanted him close, especially as I had to work during the day. I really cherished the time I had with him. With my next two children, especially with our second son, I'd read a lot more. So we worried about things like cot death and all sorts of things and took the necessary precautions when he slept in his cot. But we both wanted to keep him close. So although he usually started off in his cot, once he woke up and I had to change and feed him, he usually ended up in bed with us. With our daughter, she rarely slept in her cot. This time, I'd come full circle in a sense and learn to trust my instincts. Through, of course, my doula training and reading Sarah Buckley, Gaudi Mota and Michelle O'Donnell's books as well as the privilege of being an older mother and the lessons you learn there. So I just let go and flowed with my instincts. She slept with us and she and I were always aware of each other. Even now, when I take her to bed and we read together, something we've done with all of our kids until they have decided it's enough, I usually just lie next to her once we finish reading and something in me feels so settled, so content, so peaceful. I can't explain it. I guess it's those hormones flowing and the mutual regulation at work 10 years later. For us, the advantages of co-sleeping and bed sharing have been the easy access to our babies. They're close and we can hear them and feel them. And this has been comforting and calming for us as parents and for our babies. It's also made breastfeeding easier, especially with our youngest. As I mentioned in an earlier episode, I learned to breastfeed lying down. And this really made a big difference for me as I could continue to rest while she was feeding. I even had the nappy changing equipment by the bed and I'd just change her in bed without having to get up. This worked for us as a family and sometimes the four of us would be in bed together, which has created a closeness between us. I know bed sharing is not for everyone, but keeping your baby in the same room is not only good for you, but also for your baby. I can't imagine why anyone would want to be going back and forth several times during the night from one room to another. This is what will make you really tired. 
try and make the nighttime routine as calm for you both as possible, so that after the nightly feed and nappy change, you can both calmly settle down to sleep again. There are different ways to bed share. Either your baby can be in the same bed as you, but if this doesn't work, but you still want to bed share, there's an attachment you can buy that you can attach to your bed, so your baby is close to you but not directly in your bed. There are cots that have a side that you can let down so that the cot becomes almost like an extension of your bed. There are many options out there for parents who want to keep their babies close. As I often say, there are many opinions on what we should do and how we should parent our babies. Some advice is good, some is unhelpful. It's important to listen to ourselves, trust our instincts and our intuition, and ask ourselves, what is best for my baby? What feels right? And then make a decision. And remember, you can always change your mind. What I share are my experiences and my choices, and I've learned and developed with each of my children. I can say with confidence that I strongly believe that my children are independent, confident and secure individuals because of the choices we made in those early months to keep them close, that they felt loved and secure. I've made mistakes in my parenting and I'm far from perfect and I keep learning and my children are very happy to teach me. I'm a firm believer that no matter what else we do during those early months, meeting our children's needs and putting aside expectations on how we think they should behave, but understanding that they need us and we need to be there for them builds a great foundation for them and is a first step to gentle parenting. In my next episode, I'll continue with this theme of keeping our babies close and reflect on carrying our babies or what is fashionably called baby wearing. Should we do it? How? Why? I hope you will join me. If you found my podcast helpful, interesting, thought-provoking, or even challenging, please share. I would also appreciate any comments or reviews. My podcast is now on Apple Podcasts where you can leave a review. I'm always happy to hear what you think and to learn. Thank you for being here, for listening. This is Fungi Sai reminding you to reclaim your power.